Mr. Dane shook his head slowly. He was a hard man, but there was an unaccustomed look of distress in his face. "'Sorry, Mr. Romilly,' he said regretfully. "'I did suggest something of the sort, but they wouldn't hear of it at headquarters. "'If we let you slip through our fingers, we should never hear the last of it from London.' "'Then there came another and a still more unexpected interruption. "'From outside they heard Beatrice's voice raised in excitement. "'Mr. Dane stood on one side as the door was thrown open.' Beatrice suddenly flung herself into the room, dragging after her a man who was almost breathless. "'I say, Beatrice, steady!' the latter began good-naturedly. There followed the most wonderful silence in the world, a silence which was filled with throbbing, indescribable emotions, a silence which meant something different for every one of them. Beatrice, gripping her captive by the wrist, was looking around, striving to understand. Elizabeth was filled with blank wonder. Mr. Dane was puzzled. But Philip, who a moment before had seemed perfectly composed, was the one who seemed torn by indescribable, by horrible emotions. He was livid almost to the lips. His hands were stretched out as though to keep from him some awful and ghastly vision. His eyes, filled with the anguished light of supreme terror, were fastened upon the newcomer. His lips shook as he tried to speak. "'Take him away!' he shrieked. "'Oh, my God!' Beatrice, more coherent than any of them, scoffed at him. "'Don't be a fool!' she cried. "'Take him away, indeed. He's the most wonderful thing that ever happened. He's the one man in life you want to see.' "'So you've come for him, eh?' she went on, turning almost like a wildcat on Dane. "'You beast! You chose to-night, did you? Now get on with it, then, and I'll give you the surprise of your life. What are you here for?' "'I am here to arrest that man, Philip Romilly, for the murder of his cousin, Douglas Romilly, Miss Wenderley,' Dane announced gravely. "'I am sorry.' Beatrice threw her head back and laughed hysterically. "'You'll never write a play like it, Philip,' she exclaimed. "'There never was anything like it before. "'Now, Mr. Dane, what is it you say in America when you want to introduce anybody? "'Shake hands with Mr. Douglas Romilly. "'That's it. "'Shake hands with the dead man here, and then get on with your arresting.' "'He must be dead if you say so, but he doesn't look it, does he?' "'Philip's face had become a more natural color. "'His eyes had never left the other man's. "'He swayed a little on his feet, "'and his voice seemed to him to come from a long way off. "'Douglas, it isn't you, Douglas, it isn't you, really. "'I wish you'd all leave off staring at me as though I were a ghost.' "'the other man answered, almost pettishly. "'I'm Douglas Romilly, right enough. "'You needn't look in such a blue funk, Philip,' he went on, "'his fingers mechanically rearranging his collar and tie, "'which Beatrice had disarranged. "'I served you a beastly trick, and you went for me. "'I should have done the same if I'd been in your place. "'On the other hand, I rather turned the tables on you by keeping quiet. "'Perhaps it's up to me to explain.' 
Elizabeth, feeling her way by the mantelpiece, came to Philip's side. His arm supported her, holding her as though in a vice. "'Is that your cousin?' she whispered hoarsely. "'Is that Douglas Romilly? Is he alive, after all?' Philip had no words, but his face spoke for him. Then they both turned to listen. The newcomer had dragged a chair towards him, and was leaning over the back of it. He addressed Philip. "'We met, as you know, on the canal path that beastly afternoon,' he began. "'I was jolly well ashamed of myself for having made love to Beatrice and all the rest of it. And you were mad with rage. We had a sort of tussle, and you threw me into the canal. It was a nasty dark spot just underneath the bridge.' I expect I was stunned for a moment, but it was only for a moment. I came to long before I choked, and when I remembered your grip upon my throat, I decided I was safer where I was. I could swim like a duck, you know, and though it was filthy water, I took a long dive. When I came up again, gad, what disgusting water it was! You were tearing off like a creature possessed. That's the true history of our little fracas. But afterwards, Philip asked wonderingly, what happened afterwards? You just tell them all about it, Beatrice ordered him sternly. Go on, Douglas. Well, you see, Douglas Romilly continued, I was just going to scramble out onto the bank when my brain began to work, and I swam slowly along instead. You see... Just then I was in a devil of a mess. I'd spent a lot of money, and though I'd kept the credit of the firm good, I knew that the business was bust, and the one thing I was anxious about was to get off to America without being stopped. I've explained this all to Beatrice, and why I didn't send for her before. Anyway, I swam along until I met an old barge, I climbed in and got two of the choicest blackguards you ever saw to let me spend an hour or two in their filthy cabin and to keep their mouths closed about it. Fortunately, I had another pocket-book with sufficient to satisfy them and keep me going. Then I borrowed some clothes and came out to America, steerage. I had no difficulty in getting my money as I had a couple of pals in Lynn whom I had fixed things up with before I started. They came and identified me as Merton Ware, and we all three started in business together as the Ford Boot and Shoe Manufacturing Company at Lynn in Massachusetts. Incidentally, we've done all right. Heaps more, of course, but that's the pith of it. As for the body that was fished out of the canal... If you make inquiries, you'll find there was a tramp missing a month or so before. Elizabeth had begun to sob quietly. Philip, who was holding her tenderly in his arms, whispered unheard things into her ears. It was Beatrice who remained in charge of the situation. So now, Mr. Dane, she jeered, what about your little errand? I hope this will be a lesson to you not to come meddling in other people's affairs. Dane turned to the man who had brought this bombshell into their midst. Do you swear that you are Douglas Romilly? he asked. I not only swear it, but I can prove it. If you'll come along with me to Murray's, 
he answered. My partner's there, waiting supper, and another man who has known me all his life. The detective glanced interrogatively towards Philip. That is my cousin, Douglas Romilly, the latter pronounced. Dane took up his hat. Mr. Merton Ware, he said, or Mr. Philip Romilly, whichever you may be, whichever you may in future elect to call yourself. You may not believe it, but the end of this affair is an immense relief to me. I offer you my heartiest congratulations. You need fear no more annoyance. Good night. He passed out. They heard the sound of his footsteps and his companions as they crossed the corridor and rang for the lift. Speech was a little difficult. It was still Beatrice who imposed conviction upon them. I was seated in the box, she explained. When Philip went round to see you, Elizabeth, I had been looking down into the stalls to find Martha, and all of a sudden I saw Douglas there. He, too, was staring at me. Of course, I thought it was some extraordinary likeness, but whilst I was clutching at the curtain, he stood up and waved his hand. You should have seen me tear from the box. You know, ever since they showed me that signature at the bank, I have had a queer idea at the back of my head. Luckily for him, she went patting his arm, he sent home for me a fortnight ago and sent a draft for my expenses out. You won't mind, will you, if I take him off now? she concluded, turning to Elizabeth. They are waiting supper for us, but I wasn't going to let Philip. Did you know that Dane was going to be here? Elizabeth asked. Not an idea, Beatrice declared. I simply dragged Douglas along here as soon as we'd talked things out, because I knew that it would be the one thing wanting to complete Philip's happiness. We'll leave you now. Douglas will bring me back, and we're going to be married in a few days. Philip held out his hand a little diffidently. You wouldn't. My dear fellow, Douglas interrupted, grasping it. Wouldn't I? I'm thundering sorry for all you've been through. I suppose I ought to have let you know that I was still in the land of the living, but I was waiting until things blew over in England. That's all right now, though, he went on. I've turned over a new leaf, and I am making money. Making it after a style they don't understand in England. I am going to pay my creditors twenty shillings in the pound before a couple of years have gone, and do pretty well for Beatrice and myself as well. You wouldn't care, I suppose, he added, as they stood there with locked hands, to offer us just a glass of wine before we start out. Beatrice has been riddling me with questions. and dragging me through the streets till I scarcely know whether I am on my head or my heels. Philip emptied the contents of the champagne bottle into the glasses. Never was wine poured out more gladly. Douglas, he explained, this is Miss Elizabeth Dalston, whom you saw act this evening. We were married this afternoon. You can understand, can't you, just what your coming has meant for us? Douglas shook Elizabeth by the hand. Then he held up his glass. Here's the best of luck to you both, he said heartily. Very soon Beatrice and I will ask you to wish us the same. Philip, old chap, he added as he set his glass down and without the slightest protest watched it replenished. 
that's a thundering good play of yours I've seen this evening, but you'll never write one to beat this. Soon Beatrice and Douglas also took their departure. Elizabeth held out her arms almost as the door closed. The tear stains were still on her cheeks. Her lips quivered a little, but her voice was clear and sweet and passionate. Philip, she cried, it's all over. It's all finished with. The dread, the awful days. I am not going to be hysterical any more, and you, you are just going to remember that we have everything we want in the world. Sit down opposite me, if you please, and fill my glass. I have only one emotion left. I am hungry, desperately hungry. Move your chair nearer so that I can reach your hand. There. Now you and I will drink our little toast. It was an hour before they thought of leaving the table. A very perplexed waiter brought them coffee and watched them light cigarettes. Then the telephone bell rang. They both stared at the instrument. Philip would have taken off the receiver, but Elizabeth held out her hand. I have an idea, she said. I believe it is from Sylvanus Power. Let me answer it. She held the receiver to her ear and listened. Yes, she murmured. Yes, what time? Her face grew more puzzled. She listened for a moment longer. But Sylvanus, she expostulated. What do you mean? Sylvanus? Mr. Power? The telephone had become a dumb thing. She replaced the receiver. I don't understand, she told Philip. All that he said was, You will receive my present at five o'clock this morning. Does he think we are going to sit up for it? Philip asked. He is the strangest man, she sighed. After all, some queer fancy awoke Philip at a little before five that morning and drew him to the window. He sat looking out over the still sleeping city. All sounds now were hushed. It was the brief breathing space before the dawn. In the clear morning spring light, the buildings of the city seemed to stand out with a new and marvelous distinctness. Now and then from the harbor came the shriek of a siren. A few pale lights were still burning along the riverway. From one of the city's clocks, the hour was slowly told. Philip counted the strokes. One, two, three, four, five. Then, almost as he was preparing to leave his post, there came a terrific roar. The window against which he leaned shook. Some of the buildings in the distance trembled. One with its familiar white cupola seemed for a moment to be lifted from the ground and then split through by some unseen hand. The roar of the explosion was followed by the crashing of falling masonry. Long fingers of fire suddenly leapt up into the quiet, cool air. Fragments of masonry, a portion even of that wonderful cupola, came crashing down into the street. He heard Elizabeth's voice behind him, felt her fingers upon his shoulder. What is it, Philip? What is it? He pointed with steady finger. The truth seemed to come to him by inspiration. It is Sylvanus Power's message to you, he replied. The theater. 
There were flames now leaping up to the sky. Together they watched them and listened to the shrieking of sirens and whistles as the fire engines galloped by from every section of the city. There was a strange look in Elizabeth's face as she watched the curling flames. Philip, she whispered, thank God. There it goes, all his great offering to me. It's like the man and his motto. A man may do what he will with his own. Only last night I felt as though I would give anything in the world never to stand upon the stage of that theater again. He doesn't know it, Philip. "'but his is a precious gift.' "'He passed his arm around her "'and drew her from the window. "'A man may do what he will with his own,' he repeated. "'Well, it isn't such a bad motto. "'Sylvanus Power may destroy a million-dollar theater for a whim, "'but so far as you and I are concerned,' "'she sighed with content. "'We do both need a holiday,' she murmured. Somewhere in Europe, I think. End of Book Three, Chapter Seventeen. End of the Cinema Murder by E. Phillips Oppenheim.